Well, last Sunday, if you were able to be here, uh, I continued the Churchy Words sermon series that we've been going through. And we looked at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 last week, which is on the screen here shortly. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's the NIV translation, the translation that you are probably most familiar with. But then I showed you the next slide here, which is also Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, but in a different translation. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. And I shared with you last week that the word righteousness is a word that you can replace with the word justice in the Greek language. I shared with you that we, when we use the word righteousness, we forget, I think, that righteousness and justice are the same word, that they are interchangeable. This is a challenging concept for us because we have come to use the word righteousness as another way of talking about personal holiness. We are part of the holiness movement. I've mentioned that before. So doctrinally, we are very similar to the Church of the Nazarene or Free Methodist or even the Salvation Army. We have similar doctrinal stances. But this idea of holiness has come to mean in churches like ours, it's, this idea of righteousness has come to mean kind of a special, a special word that means personal righteousness. And that's why I think it's become a churchy word. Because it is not just personal righteousness, personal holiness. It can't possibly be when the word also means justice. In other words, we in the church have become content keeping righteousness as a personal thing. I suppose this isn't surprising because we live in America, the most individual nation that has ever existed in the face of the earth. We talk about personal freedom, don't we? It kind of makes sense that our, our religion begins to reflect this concern for the individual over the concern of others. But this is not the way of Jesus. Lord, as we open up your word today, it is my prayer that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, we need you to interpret your word. You gave us your word and you are the interpreter of your word. We desire, Lord, to hear from you. We want to to read out of Scripture, not to read into it. God, speak to us. We are ready to listen. Amen. Well, last week, um, I already talked to you about this. So the question is, why are we talking about righteousness again? Shouldn't have we moved on to a different churchy word? Well, yeah, that was my plan, except I ran out of time. Um, I... I and it's okay. I really enjoy, we, we had a guest speaker come up. You remember Kermit? He did the handstand. I didn't know he was going to do handstands. But Kermit uh, came up here and he talked about uh, Wycliffe Bible translation, translators because he is a Bible translator. Uh, and he's going to be going back to the Philippines at the end of August. And I, he, he promised me, he said, Pastor Jason, just give me, I just need a minute. And then he took way more than a minute. So my sermon kind of got cut short. And that's okay. That's okay. So I, I appreciated what he had to say. But that means I didn't get to finish my idea that God had given me from last week about this idea of righteousness. Last week, I, if, if you were paying attention, I began my sermon with something that never came to conclusion. It never fit in with anything else that I talked about last week. 
So I have to finish it because I cannot just leave it dangling, okay? Last week, I started my sermon with this, with these three phrases. Freedom is a powerful word. But then I asked you, what is the opposite of freedom? Slavery. And we had just had Independence Day. And of course, the opposite of independence is dependence. Now, I started my sermon that way because I had planned to bring that back around when I talked about Romans chapter 6. And I never got to Romans chapter 6 because I ran out of time. So, we're going to get to that today. The Lord would not release me from just leaving that. And perhaps none of you even realized that that was left dangling, but I did. And I could not leave that dangling. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 6 today. Now, Romans is an important New Testament book. If you would grab your Bibles, if you have them, or take one from in front of you, it's going to be on the screen, but we're going to read a long section. So I would much prefer you actually have the Bible in your hand as we read through this. Those of you at home, grab your Bibles right now. All books in in the Bible are important. All 66 books are important. Romans is, of course, one of those books, and it is, of course, important. But Romans is, in my opinion, special. It is the single most complete explanation of God's grand plan of salvation through Jesus. That's what Romans is. In this one book, the entire scope of God's rescue plan from the beginning of creation through the Jews and now even to people outside the Jewish faith or culture or religion It's explained, like, from beginning to end, like, how it all fits together. That's the book of Romans. God's plan of salvation. It's explained in Romans. And in fact, this plan of salvation has another another name. You'll recognize it. Gospel. What does the word gospel mean? Good news. Romans is the most complete explanation of the good news of Jesus Christ that we have in the Bible. So we're going to read... An entire chapter in Romans today. It's not a long chapter. We're going to read Romans chapter 6. And we have to be really careful. I, I, am, I am hesitant to do this because I risk pulling this out of context. And the book of Romans, maybe more than any other book, has been pieces of it have been pulled out of context. Even the idea of, you've heard this, the Romans road, even that is out of context. And I'm even a little bit hesitant to use the Romans road without explaining the whole story. Now, I don't think the Romans road is bad, and we've taught it here in release time and other places. It just needs to have the complete context, because Romans is 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 the full story from beginning through it all to the end of what the gospel is. So we're going to read, I'm I'm reading this one chapter, I would encourage you to go back and read, if you haven't read Romans in a long time, maybe ever, read it. It's not that long, and really the first 11 chapters are the plan of salvation, the gospel, and then the last chapters are like the practical living out of the gospel for Christians. That's what Romans is. But right now, we're going to read Romans chapter 6. Now, before we start, I have to say this. There is a ridiculous amount of theological meat and potatoes in Romans chapter 6. There is no possible way that I am going to be able in one sermon to go through Romans chapter 6. I mean, seriously, Romans chapter 6 could be a sermon series for a year, okay? So I'm not even going to try to do that, 
And I think it's okay because I want to focus on one thing in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read it all, but I want you to look for one thing. Righteousness. Remember, this is a churchy word. I want you to look at righteousness. Now, I'm going to do some reading, and you're going to feel like, when are we getting to righteousness? But it all fits together. But look for righteousness when it pops up in this passage. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, therefore, buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. New Life Church of God, by the way, that's our name, just throwing that out there. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Praise God. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity, and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6. So we like to quote that last one. Could you put that last one back up on the screen? We like to quote the last one there when we do the Romans road. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We like to quote the last one, and when we quote it, we only quote half of it. For the wages of sin is death. Do you see, this is part of something much bigger. And the part, the thing that it's a part of, I think we don't like to say it because we like to be American in our thinking. And American thinking is, the only thing that matters is me. Really. The only thing that matters is me. The individual is by far the most important thing, after all. And so we can save... You know, Romans 3.23, we don't mind saying that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we think to ourselves, so that's just about me. Salvation is just about me. Holiness is just about me. It's all about me getting my ticket punched to heaven. And the church has been preaching that way for about two generations now in America. That that's the thing that matters. Just get your ticket punched to heaven. And even, even earlier in Romans chapter 6, they, they like to, a lot of Christians like to quote the first part of chapter 6 and then this last part. And they'll, they'll, they'll bring it back to the first part and say, just get baptized. Just get baptized, right? Well, you'll need to get confirmed too. So get baptized and be confirmed and then you're good. Got your ticket punched because it's all about your personal salvation. It's all about, you know, just personal holiness, and this is where our church kind of lands, our bigger church, just make sure you're living the right way, following all the rules the right way. Just, it's all about you, you see. It's all about the individual, and everything's good. Except the word righteousness means justice. And righteousness is the heart of Romans chapter 6. And if righteousness means justice, and that means justice is at the heart of the entire salvation and sanctification message. Do you understand the ramifications of this? People of righteousness are people who champion the cause of justice in this world. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot be personally holy and ignore justice in this world. You cannot do it. They go together. In fact, they go together so much that it's the same word in Greek. Righteousness and justice are the same word. Do you, are you grasping this? The churchiness of the word righteousness is that we have disconnected justice from personal holiness. This is a holiness church, I've said this. This is a message that must be heard in holiness churches. You cannot just be personally holy and think that's enough. It does not work that way. Christianity does not work if you only concern yourself with personal holiness. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, it also doesn't work if you skip personal holiness, (laughs) right? 
I'll also be the first to tell you it does not work if you only work for justice and skip personal holiness. That's called hypocrisy, right? That's called, you know, worrying about the, the speck in your brother's eye without worrying about the plank in your own. So I'm not suggesting that we forget personal holiness. I'm suggesting that personal holiness will always, every time, lead to justice. Every time. It cannot be separate. The people of God who are people of holiness will automatically, because of the same word, be concerned about justice. Every time. Freedom is a powerful word. Oh, now you know where I'm going with this. What is the opposite of freedom? And what are we supposed to be as followers of Christ? According to Romans chapter 6, are we supposed to be free or slaves? The answer is slaves. Now, if that doesn't grind against your Americanism, I'm not sure what will. And let me suggest maybe we need to do some grinding against this. We are not called to be free. We are called to be slaves of righteousness. And when we are slaves to righteousness, then and only then do we become free. And we get that backwards. And we've been getting it real backwards in the church for a while. We have thought that it's the other way around. That I get freedom by living in this country and then I can worship any religion I want to. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the slavery comes first, not the freedom. Slavery to righteousness is the term that Paul uses twice. That's not my term. So if you think I'm going all you know, off the liberal uh, diving board, please, you know, try to, try to understand I'm reading Scripture. Slavery to righteousness is who we are. It is our identity. And righteousness is justice. Righteousness is justice. You should be feeling a problem right now because I am saying something that goes kind of against what much of the rhetoric has been in the church for a while now. Aren't I? Aren't I? That's not the right word. I'm, I think you need to grapple with this. I think I need to grapple with this. We have distorted the word righteousness to mean only, I only got to worry about myself. And then we call that holiness. Do you see the distortion I'm trying to bring out? Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Righteousness is not just worrying about my own personal holiness. It is also, and it must be, Worrying about justice 
everywhere else. And I'm sure justice stops at the American border, don't you think? I'm sure our worrying for justice stops there, right? Don't you think? I don't think so. Now, I'm not going to some political area here. I'm really just looking at Romans chapter 6. What does justice look like? Well, I think it can look a lot of ways, but they all revolve around caring for others. Justice always involves loving others. Loving others as you want to be loved. I mean, how many times do we want to talk about putting others above ourselves? I mean, how many times do we need to say, we're supposed to care about the foreigner? In the Old Testament, it's over and over and over. Care, care about the foreigner. Care about those, those others. And yes, I know there's a lot in the Old Testament. I know. I, I want to read a few scriptures just in a, in a row and just consider the idea of this, this idea that righteousness is more than personal holiness as we read a few of these, okay? 1 John 2.29. If you know that He, Jesus, is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Think about what it means to practice righteousness when you understand that the word righteousness also means justice. We're supposed to practice justice, church. Practice justice. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This one I put in here because we love to quote in in the evangelical church. We love to quote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and we love to leave off verse 10. So here we go. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. We love, we love to say that part. And then we love to leave off verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, we love to leave verse 10 off. Do you know why God has given this gift to you of salvation? Do you know why that you... You, you have this gift that is given that's not through works. It's so you can do good works that you've been prepared in advance to do. That's called justice. You know, doing good works means you are bringing justice to those around you. That's what we've been prepared to do. Do you think the good works there are just personal holiness? So Christ, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus just to do good works, and I'm going to define good works as only personal stuff. So I'm all, the good works there are just, I need to read the Bible every day, I need to pray every day in my prayer closet. I need to just do personal things, just in my own little world. That's what good works is. Is, is that what God, do, when, when God does good works, is, is that what it is? Good works are justice. The, the people around us, the others around us, are God, they're made in God's image. When you, when you see people that don't look like you, do you see the image of God in them or do you see something else? What exactly are you thinking? We got some work to do in the church, in this country, about what it means 
to be people of justice, what it means to be involved in our community. Righteousness is personal and it's social. It's both. You cannot distinguish the two. You cannot be somehow personally righteous and then don't give a care about anything of anybody else around you. You cannot do that. It is not, and I, I don't say you cannot because you should not. I'm not saying you should not. I'm saying you cannot because the word's the same. It's the same word. Righteousness is justice. Personal holiness is justice to those around you. It is. The church today in America, it seems like you, you, we either focus completely on personal righteousness or we completely focus on social justice. Oh, there I said it. There's the buzzword. Social justice. There's the buzzword, right? We got churches in this country who only focus on social justice, right? And we over here say, you guys shouldn't do that. You're, not, you're being all hypocrites. You know, you're not worrying about Jesus and living a holy life. You're just worrying about social justice. And we think we're on our little, our little pedestal when we say things like that. No! Do you know what the right answer is? You've got to do both. Because this side over here is going, well, it's pretty obvious you don't care about anybody else except yourselves. Neither extreme is correct. Because it's the same word. It's the same word. Micah 6.8, an Old Testament passage you will recognize. He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice is a part of God's will for you. Did, did, did everybody, everybody hear that? Justice is a part of God's will for you. Acting justly, caring about others, even others that aren't like you, is a part of God's will for you. I hate to say it. You got to love the Democrats around you. I hate to say it. You got to love the Republicans around you. Notice how I did that the same. I hate to say it. You got to love people that don't look like you. Actually, I don't hate to say that. I mean to say that. We have got to change our thinking as people of God. Remember? God, American. Remember that? God, Republican. God, Democrat. And God is concerned about justice. Proverbs 21.3 To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Did you, did, you, did you catch that? The word right and just are there together. I wonder why that is. I wonder why doing right and doing justice are in the same proverb right there. Hmm. It's almost like they're connected in a way that cannot be disconnected. James one twenty seven, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Did you, did you catch that? This is James now. This is New Testament. 
religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows. Can you look after orphans and widows if you only are concerned with your personal holiness? It seems like that might be an action that affects other people. And keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Did you catch that? Righteousness is both. It's personal holiness and the justice in society. They are the same thing. And of course, James, not very long after, has this very famous passage, doesn't he? As the body without the spirit is death is dead, so faith is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. Right? If your faith only leads you to personal holiness and doesn't lead you to those works of good that was talked about in Ephesians, it doesn't lead to actually doing something to help other people and to bring justice to this world, your faith is dead. Personal holiness is not enough. Now, of course, of course, we have to not just accept sin. That's not what I'm saying. Not even a little bit. But somehow we have to love people and then bring truth. There has to be both. Our personal holiness will lead us to love as Christ loves. And when we do that, we will seek justice for those around us. Even when we disagree with them. Even when we disagree wholeheartedly with them. Even when we think they're totally off base. Love must guide the way toward justice. There are so many ways that we can make this idea practical. In fact, it's almost infinite how we can make this idea practical. I shared a couple of those ideas with you last week. Um, let me give you just two today. The first one, the first one should be, I think, and will be very near and dear to all of us. One of the ways that we can bring righteousness to this community, that we can bring justice to this community, is by the ministries of this church. Release time, KFC, Sunday school, and youth ministry are about to start. We are a church that has decided it's worth the investment, it's worth the pain, it's worth the trouble of actually inviting children and youth from our community to learn about Jesus. Now you might think, well, how is that justice? It's justice because we're willing to do what it takes to make it happen. And you know what that means? It means we need release time teachers. It means we need people that are willing to give up a Wednesday afternoon and come and be with a group of fourth grade boys who are going to make you lose your hair. Because you care about them enough to give up time to be frustrated with them to bring them the message of Jesus Christ during school. It means that on Wednesday night, we are going to make a way for our facility to be invaded by a bunch of unruly kids and youth. It means that we are actually going to do more than sit at home when that happens. Because I, I, got, I got something, you guys, I do not know if we are going to have enough people to come and make these ministries happen. Our church is different than it was before COVID. Do you remember what life was like before COVID at Wednesdays at our church? 
I count it up and Sarah can help me. But if you add all of the people that help with release time, all of the people that help with KFC, all of the people that help with youth ministry, plus the kitchen workers that make it all happen, plus the, the, the people that drive the bus to make it happen, all of those people together, it's over 50 adults. Not, 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 like, not like the people that do both. I'm talking about 50 separate adults to make those ministries happen. 50 adults. We need you to make this happen. I talked at our annual meeting back in December. I said, we are going to have to overcome inertia. Inertia is a wonderful thing and a terrible thing. Inertia is the idea that objects in motion tend to stay in motion, but objects at rest tend to stay at rest. COVID has caused us to be at rest. It's, it's not, I mean, I, I can't believe anybody's even here this morning because it's super comfy at home. And no offense to those of you at home, there's probably about 15 of you at home. There's reasons why you're at home and I get it and that's cool. It is hard to get off the couch though. Do you know, how hard was it to get here this morning? For some of you, it's like, it's great. But for some of you, you're like, I'm not going to look at Pastor Jason right now. It's, it's hard to get back into this again. Do you want to extend justice in our community? In some, for some kind of amazing way, which numerous churches in our country do not have this opportunity, the kids are still coming. The children are still coming. The youth are still coming. In lots of churches in this country, that's not true. In lots of churches. In fact, even I, I had lunch with Kermit. I had lunch with Kermit this week. And, you know, he said when he is home for his time away from the Philippines, when he's home, what Kermit likes to do is he visits other churches. He just likes to see what's happening in all the churches around us. Do you know what he said? You're one of the only churches where there's still people that have hair. You know this is true. In, in most of the churches in this entire nation, the average age is 82. I made that statistic up right now. So don't, don't look it up and make, Pastor Jason, you didn't. Yeah, I just made that up. Okay? It's true, though. Churches are old in this country because they have not done justice. It doesn't work to just do personal holiness because it never was meant to be that way. The word's the same. It means we have to give up something, doesn't it? It means we have to give up something. We have to give up a Wednesday. We have to give up time. We have to give up resources. Of course, money is in there, but like money is like down here. Like We need involvement. We need people to be here investing in the lives of the kids of this community. We need to do justice. Okay, that was my first practical thing. It's basically a ridiculous plea from the pastor to help us with these ministries. Or they're not going to happen. I think the kids are going to come back because I think God has given us opportunity and we've been faithful. Right? But I think there's a significant bad opportunity for us to sit on the sidelines when this starts again. Because we're used to it. It's inertia. We've got to act We've got to move forward. 
We've got, we need some new folks that are, are just deciding if this is their church or not to stay. I'm going to help, right? Sorry, try not to look at like, some, there's some new people here. I'm trying not to look at you, okay? But like, we need you. We need committed followers of Christ who are personally holy to be socially justice in this community. Okay, that was my first one. Here's my second one. Here's my second one. I've got an idea. It's an idea that uh, I, I, I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. It could be a disaster. It is no secret that in this town, we have a school system that is living and growing. By the way, the projections are, and by projections I mean you just look at the number of kids, like in the kindergarten class, they're bigger than they were. So like last year we had, what was it, 39 seniors graduated, I believe, 39. The kindergarten class this year is, I think, Lynn helped me out, more than 50? It's more than 50. So in other words, what I'm saying is the school system is getting more children, not less. Does anybody sense an opportunity from the Lord? Now, how do we do this? We, we, we've, I, I want to I share with you something I mentioned last week, but just this verse, Matthew 5.13. Again, it's, it's very close to the verse we read, but this is another from Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? That's a plea to personal holiness. Did you see that? Personal holiness. We got to be salty. We got to be in the word. We got to be connected to Jesus. We got to be praying. We got to be journaling. We got to be a follower of Christ in a personal way. But look at the second part of this. It is no longer good for anything except be thrown out and trampled by men. Okay? So bad salt that's not personally, like people that aren't followers of Jesus are bad salt. But here's the other part of this. You ready for this? How much good does salt do if it stays in the salt shaker? It doesn't matter if it's salty or not, if it stays in the shaker. Do you know when salt actually matters? When it's in the food. That's when salt seasons something. Did you catch that? I think holiness churches especially have thought it was really okay to stay in the shaker. As long as you're super, 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 super salty in the shaker, you're good. False! Salt only matters when it's in the food. We got to get involved. We got to be a force for God in our community. That means we got to be in it. That means we got to be supporting it. So here's the deal. Do you want to know, you already know, in this community, this school is incredibly important. Schools are always important. But think about in our community. The school is like the central hub of our community. We got people bringing their kids in from all over, and these kids come here for release time. Like two-thirds of the elementary school comes to our church for release time. Okay? Two-thirds. We had like 80-something kids last time we did release time, which was before COVID. Here's my crazy idea. I would like to think that maybe the teachers and staff of our school are important (laughs) and need to be supported. 
and need to be loved and need to be prayed over. They need to be, they need to know that we, the church, care about them and about what they're doing. Here's my idea. You ready for this? Um, we know how to, somewhere in the deep, dark records of my office are records of how to do Valentine's banquets. I would like to do a banquet for the teachers and staff of this community put on by our church, and I'm going to invite the other churches to help us before school starts, in which we honor them, and then we commission them for the ministry they're about to start, and we pray a prayer of blessing over them. Could we do that? Yes, we can. But I can't do it alone. So here's what we're going to do. The plan is, we are going to invite all of the staff and all of the teachers to our church, and we're going to put on a very good meal for them. This isn't like, I mean, the plan is chicken parmesan with linguine and alfredo sauce, garlic bread and creme brulee for dessert. We know how to make that. By we, I mean my wife. Knows how to make that. Okay? We have done that as a Valentine's banquet. We've done that meal. So we know how to do it. My wife needs a kitchen team to help. The plan, tentatively, the date hasn't been set, but we're looking at late August, maybe even in conjunction with some of the teachers' workshops. We're not sure yet. We're working it out with the school. We would like to honor our teachers, to commission them for ministry, and to pray over them in the name of Jesus Christ. I need people to serve. Do you know who the best waiters would be and waitresses would be for this event? Youth. Could you imagine a group of youth before school starts serving our teachers? <laughs> Have I spoken sacrilegiously something here? Imagine what that could say. Imagine what that could say to our community. We want to be involved in the name of Jesus Christ to make this community a better place. Who's with me? Nobody. Oh, I got a couple of hands up there. I'm sure everybody at home is like, yes! They're all standing out of their couch, taking their slippers off. Sign me up! Right now. So here's what I would like you to do, and then we're going to be done. If you would take your little thing out, this, this thing right here, if you haven't taken it out, if you, there's lots of ways you can help with this. You can be on the food team. You can be on the service team. You can be on the setup team. You can be on the prayer team. You could just pay money to help with this. I don't know what God's calling you to do. You can, and oh, that's the other thing I forgot. The other thing we want to say to the teachers at this thing, we want to say not only do we believe in you and want to pray for you, but as a church, we want to make sure that any kid that needs school supplies has everything in abundance more than they need. I want the teachers to be able to come to our church and say, I need this, 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 and this. And I want our church to say, we'll get it to you tomorrow. So the teachers no longer have to buy supplies out of their own paychecks. Because that's happening right now in Bertha. So if a teacher comes to us and says, we need five TI-84 calculators, we say, when can we get them to you? Hey, our church can do this. We can do this, and 
We just need to be together. So if you want to be part of this, and if God is directing you to say, I want to help cook, or I want to help be a waiter or waitress, I want to help set up, I want to help with monetarily, I want to help in some way, write it down. And ushers, where are the ushers at? They're going to put the offering plate on the table out there so you don't have to feel weird when it comes by. Put the offering plate on the table. I want you to fold it up, put your name on it, and I want you to put it in the offering plate. We've only got five and a half weeks to do this before school starts. This is a way that we can be an active part of justice in our community. If you have other ideas for justice, there's a lot of things we can do. Okay, my time is up. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we are called to be the salt and the light of this community. Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to do this on our own, that you empower us to do this. That, Holy Spirit, you give us what we need as we need it. Thank you, Jesus, for the people in this room, for the people at home that are part of this church. Thank you, Lord, that you have gifted them to do this. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the board of trustees. You've gifted all of us to participate in this act of justice, in this act of being salt, in this this good work that you've called us to do. Lord, may this church be a church of righteousness. And may we understand from this point and forever what the word righteousness means. Personal holiness and justice. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your powerful name. Amen.